glory forever and ever. Amen. Welcome to the podcast, In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim Elmore, and I'm the lead pastor of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario. And I'm Marshall Morden, and I am his associate at Memorial Baptist in Stratford. All right, Marshall, so I know that today the, the goal of the day is to finish Exodus. Yeah. We're going to handle the second half of Exodus, uh, but before we get there, I have to go backward. Okay. I, I don't want to get into this sort of jumping back and forth and all that kind of stuff. But last night, last night I was making my way through Twitter because I'm a responsible adult and, <laughs> and a contributor to society. Okay, okay. I was making my way through Twitter and uh, and, and Patrick Schreiner, I don't know him, he's, he's a prophet, Western Seminary, author, podcaster and all that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, someone, I, I think it was Wyatt Graham, had shared a post from him says uh, that he was reading uh, through uh, a book on Exodus, and he came across this story, which is uh, an interesting take on liberal theology. Okay. So liberal theology, for those of you who don't know, uh, basically says, let's believe in a supernatural God mm. that can only do natural things. Right. Right. <laughs> I, I don't understand the allure, but a lot of uh, Christianity went there in the 70s. And so here's the thing. Uh, the pastor, Donald Bridges, tells a story of a liberal preacher visiting an African-American church. And as the minister talked about the crossing of the Red Sea, someone shouted, Praise the Lord, taking all them children through the deep waters. What a mighty miracle. The minister, who did not believe in miracles, was annoyed at the interruption. So rather condescendingly, he told the congregation that the Israelites were probably in marshlands with an ebbing tide, and so they simply waded through six inches of water. In response to this, the same voice shouted out from the crowd, Praise the Lord, drowning all them Egyptians in only six inches of water. What a mighty miracle. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never get I never get the idea of like people just desperately looking for ways to scientifically explain away God's miraculous intervention. It's like if if we're if we're believing that an all powerful God, a being beyond our comprehension, created the entire universe. A being of that power can operate in any way he chooses. And sure, he might operate through the natural means of the universe, but he can he can do whatever he wants. And if you, and if like if people can't get that, then I think really it's anyways. Yeah, I'm gonna go on a rant here, but yeah, I, I don't get it from a like I get it from a skeptic's perspective. Sure, yeah, sure. But but, I, but from someone who wants to still call themselves a believer and yet a, not just a believer but a minister, mm -hmm. it, it's a bizarre thing. Well, I, I don't get it. But what I love about it is this, this is the beautiful commentary on liberal theology, right? Mm -hmm. A mighty miracle of God either way. Yeah, sure. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you want to explain it away? Then it's only that much more impressive yeah, that seriously. an entire Egyptian army was drowned in six inches of water. Oh, man. Yeah, awesome stuff. But that's not where we are today. No. Today we are Exodus 19 mm -hmm. through the end of the book. Yeah. This week's reading stops two chapters short. We're just going to finish the book. Yeah. Makes more finish, sense that way. Work our way through Exodus. So the forest, what are we looking at? Well, we've got a couple of major themes that we're going to be considering. Uh first one that came to mind for me and it's you know continuing from the earlier part of Exodus but it's just the presence of God right the presence of God existing you know on on kind of Mount Sinai where Moses is going up and meeting him and then you know in the tabernacle this special building that's built to be a kind of 
a hot spot, for lack of a better term, of God's dwelling with his people. Um, so, yeah, that was one of the things that stood out to me. What about you? Yeah, first, before before we get in my oh, yeah, I, I just sure. want to jump on that. Mm. Last week we talked about how uh, sometimes people will say, if God was only more specific with me, I would be eager to follow him. Mm. Well, we get into a little bit of specificity this oh, week. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> but the other thing that, that sometimes people will blame God for their faithlessness is, if only God was more tangibly present. Right. If only I could see him and feel him. Why would he hide himself? Because if he didn't hide himself, then sure, everyone would follow him perfectly. And here in Exodus, God is very physically present. Yeah. And... Exodus 32 still happens. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't seem to make that big of a difference. No, no, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, I, I think for me, one of the, the big picture things that I, I really appreciated this week was understanding that, that God is a God of specificity. Sure. Uh, so so when, we, when we get into the law, we're going to, at the tabernacle. We're going to see this week. Uh, this week is a bit of a warm-up. It's an appetizer. Sure. It's an appetizer because next week starts Leviticus. Right. Uh, and, and so it shows us how specific God is in how he chooses to be worshipped by Israel. And, and now, granted, the way that we worship God is different now yep. than it was then. Thank we'll talk a little bit about the difference between what it means to live under the law and to live uh, in a time of the church where the law has been fulfilled. We'll talk about that later today. Uh, but... One thing that does not change is is our need to be specific, and and a lot of times, especially our tribes, right, the the breadth of reformed, whatever spectrum of reformed you want to put us on, uh, there is there's going to be those from the outside that are like, you guys spend way too much time in theology and doctrine and trying to get the words right, trying to say things correctly, being so specific about it. God doesn't really care. Yeah, I think God cares. We, well, we'll see that, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think God matter. I think God cares that we know who He is, yeah, and totally. that we worship Him well, and that we express those things well. Mm-hmm. I, I think those efforts are, in and of themselves, expressions of worship. Yeah, no, totally. And this idea that those people who are, you know, are diligent in seeking out these, you know, these complex ideas and digging deep into theology. The idea that those people that it, it, it's it's an either or situation. So either you do that or you have this meaningful, you know, intimate relationship with the Lord. Like you have to choose one or the other. Right? Is it that's a lie? That's not true. And in mm-hmm. fact, if you look back in history, you know, some of the men and women who who you know pursued God in the scriptures fervently, you know, who read and wrote countless books and, and, you know, you talk about preachers who would preach like multiple sermons every day of the week. Like these people loved the Lord, you know? And so it's not an either or I'm so tired of the either or option. It's yeah. 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 All right. So there's uh there's some forest, any more forest before we go into the trees? Are we ready to, um, one other thing just that's going to kind of jump off the page right away is just the, the idea of the, the covenant relationship that God has with his people, mm-hmm. right? This 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 whole statement of I will be your God, you will be my people. There are blessings, there are stipulations. Um, and what we'll come to see is that, you know, Israel ultimately, you know, doesn't do too well in, in holding up their end of the covenant. Right, right. All right, so let's talk about the trees. We uh, we begin we begin the week's reading at the foot of Sinai. Yeah, a watershed moment for Israel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, this is kind of where th- where things really kick off. God establishing that covenant. This the site. Oh man, I'm going to blow this word here. 
Sinaitic. Uh, well done. Okay, well sure. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so the, the covenant with Israel, right? And so here's where we get, I mean, we get like the Ten Commandments and we get the beginning of the laws. Um, yeah, it's an important moment. And, and I think it's important to know, too, uh, I, I think the first edition came out in like 1982, Mm. Uh, but it, it's it's been a serious uh, contender for best introduction to the Old Testament since then. Uh, but Lesur and company talk make a big deal about this being a Susian vassal covenant, mm. which means this is this is not a covenant between peers. Right. In the same way that if I was going to buy a car from you, we would make a covenant over, you know, this is what I'm going to give, this is what you're going to give, this is how it's going to be paid out. All of those kinds of things. This is not a covenant amongst peers. This is not a wedding. Right. Right? This is a superior making a covenant with their inferior. Yeah. And there is reward for doing, uh, for upholding their end of the bargain. Mm -hmm. And there is curse and punishment for not. Yeah. And so that is the kind of covenant that we're stepping into. This is a covenant, uh, the covenant of a superior to their inferior yeah. and not a covenant amongst peers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, the the giving of, I mean, the, the Ten Commandments in particular, the Ten Commandments, it's such an interesting thing because so many people kind of talk about, oh, well, you know, I base my own personal, even non-believers base their personal moral code off of the Ten Commandments. But if you actually put people on the spot to actually what are the Ten Commandments, right? A lot of us can't even name them from memory, right? Something as simple right. as that. Right. Um, yeah, I, I love it, and I think it's uh, this happens. Is it Matthew 19 where the rich young ruler comes to talk to Jesus, mm. and he says, you know, what do I have to do to earn eternal life uh, or to receive eternal life? And Jesus says, you know, keep the laws. Uh, the guy's first question is which ones, uh, as, <laughs> which is which is an interesting question. Uh, but but nevertheless, what he asks, Jesus jumps down like numbers three and four and five and mm-hmm. and tosses the, you know those softball kind of things up there. And the guy's like, yep, yep, good, I'm good to go. Anything else? And he says, oh hey, but how about one and two? Yeah. How about uh, no other gods before me mm-hmm. and not worshiping anything, uh, any image that mm-hmm. is that is made of man. And uh, the man walks away sad because he had great wealth. Yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, making an idol of, of his own wealth. Yeah, yeah, so even those people who would say, I'm not a believer, but I do follow the Ten Commandments, don't even get past number one. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's, it's an issue. It's a problem. Yeah, so we have the uh, Sinai Covenant. We have the issuing of the Ten Commandments. Immediately following the Ten Commandments, we have issuing of other commandments and, yeah. and things like that. So, yeah, where else, where else do the trees take us? Well— I think, uh, okay, so as we get through those laws, and I want to come back maybe later and just kind of chat a little bit about the, the place of the law. In, yeah, in we the can Christian do it now. I mean, this is, the, this is the introduction of the law. We want people to be able to read the law well. Sure. Okay, well, let's talk about it yeah. now then. So, I mean, one of the big questions that, that, that I hear a lot and that I've really wrestled with and I'm continuing to wrestle with is what place does the Old Testament law have in the life of a New Testament believer, Right. Right. And obviously, right, I mean, like, I have bacon with my eggs, right? I'll wear, you know, so obviously we're not, you know, I'm, I'm not holding myself to the entirety of the Old Testament law, but w- does that mean it is completely invalid? Is there no value at all? And that's a, that's a, you know, it's a big question that 
I don't know, different people have taken different different approaches to. Yeah, so the one thing that we don't want to get into is we don't want to get into just sort of cherry picking and saying sure. this matters and this doesn't uh, because we are not given the privilege or the opportunity to do that inside of Scripture. Uh, and, and then we have to ask the question, well, who are right? Those people who say we still have to fulfill the law or those people who say the law means nothing? And this mm-hmm. is not something that is new to us. Uh, right, we are not the first ones to have the Hebrew roots and the Zionists and those who say you have to continue to follow the law in addition to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, mm-hmm. uh, and and we are not the first to to have the antinomian perspective that says there is nothing inside of the law that is binding in any way. Go and do what you will, and understand that uh, His grace is sufficient. Paul deals with this yeah. constantly. Yeah, this is a huge chunk of Romans. Mm-hmm. This is the purpose of the letter to Galatia, right? Uh, the author of Hebrews is dealing with much of this. Yeah, right. How much of law matters? What does it mean when Christ has fulfilled the law, and what does that mean that we as believers do mm-hmm. with? with the law as it stands. Right. Because we're, we're to pursue Christ-likeness and how, according to what standard did Christ live his life? The law, right? So so what does that look like, right? And and so it's just like this, yeah, it's a bigger question than I, than I have a, a full fully orbed answer for. But I think we can see even within the Old Testament law, perhaps the, how things play out in their in the minute details, obviously with, you know, specific punishments and things of that nature, like that's just not going to work, right? That those, those laws were put in place for a theocratic society that does not exist now. Right. So I don't have the opportunity to put someone to death because they broke a law of God. Exactly. That's what you're saying. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. So obviously we can't like to, to try and, and impose that Old Testament law on our society is just not going to work. But I think there are very clear principles that we can see from those laws that that evidence the character of God and and demonstrate to some degree what his will is for his people. So one of the examples that I brought up to you when we were discussing this earlier was the idea of like the ox. Like if you have an ox that gores somebody, right, then it should be put down right and if it's all it's been known to gore people and does it again then the then the actual owner is to be put to death and the the concept there is just kind of personal like owning the responsibility for those types of actions so like driving your car if the brakes aren't working right like like that's wrong right like i could say that that's wrong or if you have a dog that's biting people regularly you need to put that dog down and i think that's like Th- that principle of like response, personal responsibility, I think is still is still binding. Yeah, and, and so I would I would do it this way. This is this is the cleanest bow that I can put on it for you. Okay, okay? I would say we have two covenants and one God. Okay, right. Uh, so we have in the old covenant a very physical covenant, very physical presence of God with a physical people, creating a physical nation, uh, with very physical symbols of worship. Mm. Um, that covenant is not kept, uh, even even in today's reading, not mm-hmm. kept at all by Israel. Yeah. And uh, there is therefore a new covenant. And fulfillment in Christ is the old covenant being fulfilled and a new covenant put into its place. Yet we have one God. Right. So those things that are valuable to God will still be valuable to God in a new covenant. 
Yeah. Because although the covenant has changed, the God who is making this covenant has not changed. Yeah. And so what he values, he will continue to value. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the way that we worship him, the things that we recognize about him and his holiness and his set apartness, the way that we are called to be set apart and to live differently, the way that we are to honor life, especially human life, as something sanctimonious uh, is is going to continue to matter, that we recognize his holiness will continue to matter. All of these things will continue to matter. And so where we see carryover, we see carryover in principle and in the personage of God. uh, And where we don't, it's going to be some of the practices by which we would physically recognize those things, mostly in the more ceremonial kinds of things. Sure. Uh, but, but that does, so yeah, we don't, we don't read the law just to throw it away. Right. Yeah. We don't read the law saying this used to matter, but it doesn't. Yeah. We read the law and inside of reading the law, we say, okay, I see underneath the practice, the principle and the person of God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, that's a good way to kind of find balance between legalism and antinomianism, right? That's a healthy way of looking at Old Testament law. Right. So we have the law, then we have uh, we get into some tabernacle. Yeah, yeah. Seven, seven chapters of instructions. That's that's tabernacle part one uh, of of instructions on building the the, the tabernacle. It's uh, heavy heavy on detail, uh, heavy on symbolism for sure. All right, and then uh, then then we oh well then okay okay then we get to probably the what I would call the highlight of our of this week's reading we get to the the scenario with the golden calf and then because i don't want to talk about it it uh, always upsets me <laughs> no we got we got to talk about it today. no no no. there's not there's not an option to not talk about it we we have to talk let's talk about it all right so every time every time i get to chapter 32 of exodus i just hope that it's going to be different this time <laughs> i i've read i've read this so many times and i always hope against all hope that this time it's going to be different uh, I, I want to read to you. I've, I've used this Bible before in reference. This is the, uh, the Story of Redemption Bible uh, from Crossway. I, I did a quick write-up on it yesterday for uh, the In and Through articles. I right. uh, just absolutely love this book. The extra-textual notations that they give are just fantastic. And this is what they have to say about Exodus 32. What a stunning and devastating development. Hmm. Preach. Barely over a month after Moses sprinkled the people with blood and they cried out, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. The people of Israel have lost faith and turned away from their God. The scene is almost comically catastrophic. Yeah. Almost comically catastrophic. Yes. God's very first commandment to the people was to have no other gods but him. And yet here they say to Aaron, Up. Make us gods. The second commandment was to make no images or idols to worship. And yet Aaron's first move is to make an idol in the shape of a golden calf. Already the people's promise to obey and worship God alone is broken. And the covenant itself is in tatters. Yeah. The only question now is how will God respond? Nice. Yeah, that's great. That's a great study Bible. Yeah, highly, highly recommend Highly recommend that one. Yeah, no, this is like, it's just crazy, right? And I remember it it was funny because knowing where the story's going, the the first time in chapter 19 when the people of God say, you know, everything the Lord says we will do, we will be obedient. And I'm thinking, oh boy, 
you guys. And then they say it again in, in chapter 24, and I'm like, oh, man. You guys are you guys are really setting yourself up here. This is this is gonna be bad. And then in, and then in chapter twenty eight, we have Aaron set apart by God, right? And he says, "This is how you're going to decorate Aaron, and why he's going to be called called out, set apart from the rest of the people as a priest. Right. And we are going to decorate him in such a way that even his clothes speak to the glory of Yahweh." Hmm. And now, yeah. Now, now, well, yeah. So here's here's the thing. Like, so they're breaking the the first two commandments essentially, right? And uh, I just and, and not only breaking them, but breaking them in atrocious ways. Oh yeah. Right. So so they they gather up. They they come in and they say, Hey, Moses has been gone for a while, a second or two, and I don't know how much longer he's going to be there. Maybe he's not coming back at all. Mm. But at the same time, what is going on in Mount Sinai? It's not like the mountain is silent. No, it's not like the mountain is silent and he's just wandered off. No, there is like the very physical presence of God that mm. everyone can see that is just this sort of literally in some ways earth shaking presence of God going on. And over the roar of God on the mountain, mm. they are saying, listen, we don't know where Moses went. We don't know if he's coming back. Why don't you make for us some gods? They form this golden calf and they start crediting that thing that they had just made with the miracles that God had provided for them in Egypt. Yeah. Singing. This is this is the God who brought you across the sea. Yeah. Singing and dancing, right? So loud that as they're coming down the mountain, Joshua can like hear the party going on from a long way off. Like it's just it's just crazy. And and I mean it's interesting too. I think Moses' petition so so God in response to this is like, okay, I'm going to I'm just going to wipe them out. And and Moses has this petition to God on behalf of the people. And all he really does is he just kind of quotes God's promise back to him, mm -hmm. which right. I which I really like. I really like that. I think uh, when when we when we're faced with situations, not that you know, not that we're going to be petitioning on behalf of an entire you know nation, but even in even in our role as pastors at the church, right? There are times where you know we have a responsibility to uphold our community in prayer and to go to God on their behalf to some degree and and I think relying on God's faithfulness and his character the what he's revealed about himself is a good way of doing that yeah Moses is a little bit cool-headed here sure but we also have to remember he doesn't yet know exactly what's going on you're right actually that's true and yeah. he comes down the mountain mm -hmm. and he sees what's going on Aaron says you're not gonna believe this and the reason he's not going to believe it is because it's not true. Right. You're not going to believe this, but I had a handful of earrings. Yeah. I dropped them into the said fire right there. Mm -hmm. And out comes, although the scripture very clearly says Aaron formed, out <laughs> comes from the fire as if it animated itself and walked out of the fire out comes this golden calf it was the craziest thing well, moses what are the chances you man? should have been here <laughs> and moses goes crazy yeah he does moses torches this golden image mm -hmm. and the ground that it was on mm -hmm. scatters the ashes over the water and then makes them drink it yeah here's what the bible doesn't tell you but what is probably taking place is someone that loves moses mm. and that knows him well is probably pulling back on his robe a little bit being like hey hey you made your point you made your point and he's like no no no, i'm not done here drink it yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're gonna drink yeah. it yeah 
and and at that point, whoever probably his wife, right, just tugging <laughs> on the back of his, like, honey, you okay? All right, all right. So we went there. Yeah, we went there, and he makes them. I I don't know what the significance is of making them drink it, but mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then after it's that, dramatic. <laughs> then after that, the Levites come in. The yeah. Levites come in, and the yeah. Levites are like, hey, you need some folks whacked for this. Yeah, three three thousand. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, yeah no, it's tough a, times. Yeah, seriously, God, God takes His covenant quite seriously. I think is a, is a fair assessment mm-hmm. of uh, of that whole scene. Yeah, and then so then after that, so then I mean Moses, poor Moses. Moses goes back up the mountain to kind of reestablish this covenant um, with the Lord, and the Lord has this, there's this wonderful passage, uh, Exodus thirty four six and seven. Uh, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. And that passage, that self-revelation that God gives in the midst of this, right? I mean, this is the, the, the God has graciously brought them out of slavery, given them this covenant whereby he is going to give them a land, he is going to prosper them and defend them, and they just blatantly rebel. And then God says, you know what? I am a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. But will by no means... By no means. Justify Mm -hmm. the wicked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's... there's, So it it does does end with, he Mm -hmm. is just. Oh, yeah. Loving and gracious... And just. Yeah. And so we talked about last week how we're we're going to, inside of this, be saying all the time, all the time, look at the grace and mercy and patience mm-hmm. of the God of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. This last week's example, last week's example about how everyone is just sort of whining and crying and, and did you really bring us here because there were no tombs left in Egypt, that sort of yeah. nonsense. This is an entirely different level. Sure. Right. Moses has crushed the tablets that he received in a way of signifying the covenant is broken. Yeah. We haven't even made it to the promised land. Mm-hmm. We've just barely crossed out of Egypt. And you have come here to Sinai to receive the covenant. And before I can even bring it to you, it has been broken. Yeah. Yeah. But a gracious and merciful God that we do not end... Or do we, we we don't end thirty two and go into thirty three through the rest of the of Exodus with the destruction mm-hmm. of this people? Yeah, but instead, it ends with the construction of the temple. Yeah, and the construction of the ephod for mm-hmm. Aaron. Mm-hmm. That God has forgiven them, mm-hmm. and He is saying, "Listen, bring into practice those things that I have called you to for my worship." Yeah, and that Exodus ends with them carrying out the covenant that they were given, despite having, as the uh, study Bible we were reading earlier, left the covenant in tatters, Mm -hmm. the wording that they use there, despite leaving it in tatters, no, God has said, all right, we've come here to do this thing, and we're going to do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then they go about actually, yeah, building that tabernacle, and 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 you know it's very detailed, and it seems kind of repetitive, but I mean I think the the emphasis on 
the way that that tabernacle is made, it points to some things, right? Because I think we think of Christ, right? So the the idea is like we may have heard some people when they talk about how Jesus in John one when it talks about um, the light dwelling uh, with us, it, the the verb it's similar to the word for tabernacle. So the idea of like he was God dwelling with his people in the same way that God dwelt among his people right. in the tabernacle. Right. And so just like, the, you know, there were clear um, instructions on how that had to be built, right? Everything had to be just right, right? It had to be perfect. That points to, you know, Christ who came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And, you know, the Old Testament through those pro- uh, those prophecies, it, it kind of laid out blueprints for Christ's life and ministry. And mm-hmm. he was perfect, Right. And so I think that that is a consistent um, part of the character of God, that 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 attention to detail, that holiness um, that, you know, was made manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. Right. Any any highlights you want to point out before we move to Um, the end? You know, I think like for me, I think that was kind of it for me. I try because as I was if I'm being honest, this is kind of the first week reading that. I did find it was a bit of a struggle, if I'm being honest with you. There, there, were, there were parts where I'm like, okay, we're going through this stuff again. And so, you know, as I'm feeling that, praying to God, God, what's the point of all this, this detail, right? Mm-hmm. And, then, and then kind of through some study and some reflection, coming to that, that bit I just shared about, you know, it, it pointing to Christ, right? It pointing to, you know, his perfection. Um, that kind of redeemed a bit of that for me, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think for me, chapter 25 opens in a really beautiful way. Mm. Uh, when God calls everyone together to uh, start making contributions towards the tabernacle, uh, he, he doesn't just demand of them their time and material. Uh, the Lord says to Moses, 25.1, uh, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. Hmm. So this thing that God was doing, and that's not the only time even in this week's reading that it, it talks about people giving as they felt moved to give. Right. And, and that's something that I, I think exists in the church today that exists even under a very heavy law uh, of worship that we need to wrap our heads around well. Um, that our opportunity to serve is what we have been called to fulfill mm. and to practice that opportunity that we have mm-hmm. and not to just see it as mandate. Yeah. That it's a, it's a must, but instead to say, no, you know what? I have opportunity to do this and I choose to do this as an act of worship to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas a lot of times we run into this concept of Christian minimalism. Like, what do I have to do right. to still be in favor with God and right. to not lose that? Mm. And, uh, and, and I think this is a great example how even under the law, that was not the intended heart behind how things were done. Uh, mm. and, and I would say even more so today. Yeah. No, amen. Yeah, I'm with you on that for sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, and is produced by Alex Walker. Have a great week. Yeah, take care, everybody.